Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to the Georgia Today podcast from GPB News. Today is Thursday, March 23rd. I'm Peter Biello. On today's episode, the city of Atlanta is suing opioid manufacturers. The remains of a Korean War vet from Georgia will finally be laid to rest. And a new film highlights the power of empathy over racism. These stories and more are coming up on this edition of Georgia Today. A federal lawsuit filed this week by the city of Atlanta and six metro area counties aimed to recover damages from opioid manufacturers. The suit alleges drug companies put profit ahead of public health. GPB's Ellen Eldridge reports. The local governments say they had no choice but to pay employees' insurance claims for unnecessary opioid prescriptions. More than $636 million is already heading to Georgia following the largest ever opioid-related settlement with Purdue Pharma. Kevin Tanner is the commissioner of the Georgia Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Disabilities. He says the state will do everything in its power to keep the opioid crisis from impacting future generations. So when the last dollar is spent, we can look you in the eye and say without question, Georgia got the highest return on its investment possible. Dozens of similar lawsuits are being filed against the pharmaceutical industry for its role in spreading the addictive and potent painkillers. For GPB News, I'm Ellen Eldridge. State environmental officials say they've received more than 100,000 comments about the permit application by an Alabama company to mine for titanium near the Okefenokee Swamp. A spokesperson for the Environmental Protection Division says they have no way to know if that's a record. Rena Ann Peck of Georgia River Network says joint comments from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the National Park Service are especially important. I think it's just what EPD's been waiting for. They want the federal agencies to weigh in with their science. So finally we have it and EPD has what they need to protect our natural resources. The agencies challenge the plan's potential negative impacts to wildlife and ecosystems. Officials for the company, Twin Pines Minerals, say they can mine the area safely. Lawmakers held a final hearing yesterday for a House bill proposing sweeping mental health legislation. GPB's Sophie Gratis explains how the legislation may or may not move forward with just three working days left in the session. Lawmakers in the Senate Health and Human Services Committee did not vote on House Bill 520 Wednesday, delaying further action until today. But the bill moves on without its supportive housing element and without a definition for, quote, serious mental illness. Instead, changes presented by Chairman Ben Watson at the hearing would give agencies until December to propose a definition to the General Assembly, as explained by Senator Ed Setzler. We will act a definition if we need to, but the lawmakers will make the law. We're not going to delegate that. The Senate is likely at an impact with the House over another bill that would have overhauled requirements for the construction of new rural hospitals. That bill will likely not see a floor vote after failing to make it through committee on Tuesday. For GPB News, I'm Sophie Gratis. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has chosen a black editor to lead its newsroom for the first time in its 155-year history. The AJC named Leroy Chapman Jr. to its editor-in-chief position today. Chapman has worked in journalism for nearly three decades and has been with the AJC for a dozen years, most recently as managing editor. He'll succeed Kevin Riley, who is retiring. 
The U.S. Army said Tuesday that it will bury the remains of a Georgia soldier killed during the Korean War in Arlington National Cemetery. Corporal Tommy Hanks lived in Columbus and was reported missing in action in 1950 and later declared non-recoverable. His remains were turned over by North Korea and last year were identified using DNA. His internment will be in April. More than 7,000 Americans remain unaccounted for from the Korean War. Some environmentalists are preparing to sue the government on behalf of a species of tortoise that lives here in Georgia. GPB's Devin Zwald has the story. Environmental groups say gopher tortoises should be placed on the endangered species list in four southern states, including Georgia. The Center for Biological Diversity and NOCUS Education filed a notice of intent to sue the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service over its decision last year not to list the gopher tortoise as endangered or threatened in Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, and eastern Alabama. The groups said yesterday that the animals are imperiled by loss of habitat, largely caused by human development. The center noted there are some state-level protections for the burrowing tortoises, but those generally do not protect their habitat. For GPB News, I'm Devin Zwald. Delta Airlines is launching a flight academy to train a new generation of pilots. The Atlanta-based airline said Tuesday that it will open its Propel Flight Academy in partnership with Florida-based Skyborne Airline Academy in June. The news comes as airlines prepare for growth and mandatory retirements. A Delta spokesperson says the airline expects to hire 2,000 pilots this year. A new documentary film set in Georgia explores how racial hatred can be unlearned through empathy. Refuge tells the story of Heval Kelly, a cardiologist and Syrian Kurd who fled oppression in his country, and Chris Buckley, a man from northwest Georgia who joined and then left the Ku Klux Klan. Filmmakers Aaron Bernhardt and Din Blankenship join me now to talk about the film. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. So this film alternates between the perspectives of these two men, Heval Kelly and Chris Buckley. Uh, I'd like you to tell us about each of them, starting first with Chris Buckley, the white man from northwest Georgia. Let's start with you, Din. Uh, who was he and what was his life like? Chris Buckley was living in North Georgia in a small town called Lafayette. And um, he's a guy that had experienced a lot of trauma throughout his life, throughout his childhood, um, and was living with some pretty severe PTSD from his time in the military. And so when we met Chris, he had just left the KKK. Um, he was the number two guy in the KKK in the state of Georgia. And a lot of his hatred was specifically targeted at Muslims. And some of that was um, kind of unexamined trauma from 9-11. And a lot of that was from trauma from his experience in the military. And so Chris is also a recovering meth addict. And so when we met him, he was sober how long was he sober at that time, Aaron? Six months? Not long. Not long. Um, so recovering meth addict who had just left the KKK is, was Chris Buckley when we met him. <laughs> a man with a very difficult life. And, and Haval Kelly also had some challenges in his life. Can you tell us about him? Actually, his life started out really beautiful and wonderful. Um, he is a Syrian Kurd, a Muslim Kurd from Syria. And, um, he would call it a really privileged childhood that he had. Um, his dad was an attorney. But what happened to Haval was when um, the Assad regime was attacking, and still to this day a lot of people are, are attacking the Kurdish people. His dad was an attorney that was supporting Kurds, and they were openly Kurdish um, and persecuted for that. 
And so when he was in elementary school, he remembers he was, you know, sitting in the living room with his mom, his dad, and his brother, and um, the Assad regime stormed his his living room and came and kidnapped his dad and took him. And that was a really obviously a traumatic experience and that made them for be forced to flee Syria. And so that led them to Germany where they became refugees in Germany. When he was in Germany, that's when he was in refugee camps, right? It was sort of a refugee camp. Yeah, it was like a refugee apartment. Germany was going to try to send them back to Syria, which would have been a death sentence for his dad. And luckily, they found asylum in the United States as refugees. When you meet Haval in our film, he's just kind of recognizing, wait a minute, America feels really different right now in 2017-18. Um, it doesn't feel like the welcoming place that welcomed me. At one point in the film, Haval is really troubled by the racism he sees in America, not just directed at at Muslims, but at you know, people like Mexicans, for example. And then he has this to say, and I think this really kicks off the, the, the arc of the film. This is what he said. I have to get out of my comfort zone, go to the other side, and understand why they're doing it, because this division and hate is not going to go away. At this point in the film, it seems as though Haval is the stand-in for the viewer. We want to know along with Haval, why Chris is the way he is, and whether this understanding can help Haval and help Chris. Were those questions on your mind as well, whether or not this understanding can be helpful? We'll start with you, Aaron. Yeah, that was very much on our mind. Um, Din and I made this film in direct response to what happened with the riots and murder in Charlottesville um, in August of 2017 with the Unite the Right rallies. And so we really were looking to answer that question. You know, why are people so full of hate against quote unquote the other? And what can we do to address that? What about you, Din? Um, you know, I love, I feel like that's such a generous view of America right now that we have a curiosity about each other because I think, you know, if I'm honest both about myself and I feel like what we've been seeing so much in our country in the past, I don't know, five, six, seven years is a lack of curiosity of like, why do people hold the positions that they hold, you know, and, and are, is there something human beneath the anger and the hostility that I'm observing? And so, you know, I, I hope that more of us can walk out of this film. And I know I certainly have in terms of um, our relationship with Chris and Haval, but with a sense of curiosity and with a sense of compassion and empathy towards people I may not understand, but who I might have a lot of opinions about that aren't based on actual an actual relationship. And so um, I hope that we can all take that posture of curiosity that we see in Haval into the world um, after watching this film. I want to play another clip from this film. Uh, after Haval and Chris meet and they spend some time together, they, they share what they learned from the experience separately. Uh, first, Haval speaks, then Chris. So this is them after spending a day with Chris, Haval says, it's not fair that Chris has to live in poverty. Chris is like reflection of the forgotten America. They're living in a camp that doesn't have no border. It's called poverty. 
when people watch that immigrants are successful, now they understand the other side why they're getting angry. Because if they live like this and they see their own people are still in hunger and struggling, they're like, why are we not getting the help? I look at him and it's like, look at what he did with his opportunity, you know, and look at what I did with mine. You know, I squandered it. It's some shit I did to myself. Like, I don't blame anybody. I blame myself. What do you make of their realizations at the end there? Maybe we'll start with you, Din. You know, I think something that was so powerful for us in those moments was seeing how it was through a personal relationship with a person that understanding and, and empathy were possible. You know, before Chris and Haval met, their thinking about somebody like that person, you know, a Muslim refugee who's become really successful or a white man living in rural poverty were not based on evidence, were not based on relationship. And so it was through relationship with one another that they were able to walk away and have a better and real tangible understanding of each other. But the fact that they were able to first and foremost approach one another as individuals with joys and hopes and fears and pain and families, you know, those are the things that are going to enable healing in our country. And it was really amazing to just witness that unfolding in front of us. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think one thing that Haval says in the film is that it's hard to hate something you know. Um, and that really embodies all of this. Peter, what did, what did you learn? What is your takeaway? When you think about how hard it is to make friends in general, and then you see people cross enormous cultural divides like that, it gives you a little bit of hope that maybe our species isn't doomed. and that's something i'd like to see personally that that you know we're gonna make it as a species and and our capacity to love each other is a sign of that oh we are encouraged by that thank you and we feel the same you know we're still navigating this incredibly fractured world too and i feel like even when i feel myself getting kind of pulled into it and feeling really frustrated by the state of things, I'm constantly going back to like just remembering what we witnessed in Chris and Haval and feeling hope for what is possible, you know, and feeling like in what way is their journey replicable for me? And so we hope everyone else can kind of take the similar, a similar approach as they walk out of the film. Well, um, I want to thank you both for, chatting with me about this film and for making it. Thank you. We appreciate that. And thank you for having us. This was a treat for us. Aaron Bernhardt and Din Blankenship are the directors of Refuge, which will be in theaters in Atlanta for a week starting on Friday. It's going to be on demand as well. You can find a link with more information at gpb.org. In sports, in the NBA, the Atlanta Hawks lost to the Minnesota Timberwolves last night in a squeaker. Final score, 125-124. to Trey Young scored 29 points and posted his 100th straight game with at least five assists, which is the longest active streak in the NBA and the ninth longest in history. Jalen Johnson missed his fourth game in a row with left hamstring tightness and a groin strain. And the Atlanta Braves have announced that Rico Cardi and Fred Tenney will be inducted into the Braves Hall of Fame in a pregame ceremony on August 19th before the Braves-Giants game. 
Cardi played with the Braves from 1963 to 1972 and finished his career with a 317 batting average, tied for sixth in franchise history. He was chosen as a 1970 All-Star. That season, he hit 366. And Fred Tenney played 15 seasons with the Boston Braves from 1894 to 1907. Tenney also served as both a player and a manager from 1905 to 1907 and in 1911. And they will be in good company in the Braves Hall of Fame, along with Hank Aaron, Greg Maddox, David Justice, Andrew Jones, and Dale Murphy, among others. That's all we've got for today's edition of Georgia Today. We really do appreciate you tuning in. Join us tomorrow as well, as we're going to be bringing you the story of a man who lost his very special hat. It was an Atlanta Braves hat gifted to him by his dad. His dad died a few years ago, and after he died, the hat took on some special meaning. So when he lost it, it was pretty upsetting. But his wife and the Atlanta Braves stepped in to help. We're going to have that story tomorrow on Georgia Today, in addition to all the top stories from the Peach State. So hope you'll tune in. The best way to remember to tune in, of course, is to subscribe to this podcast. Take a moment, do it now. We'll be there for you in your podcast feed tomorrow afternoon. If you like this podcast, leave a review so other folks can find it. And if you've got some feedback, send it our way. The email address is georgiatoday at gpb.org. I'm Peter Biello. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.